0: Our second lesson is from 1 Thessalonians, the third chapter, beginning at the first verse. Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we decided to be left alone in Athens, and we sent Timothy, our brother and co-worker for God, in proclaiming the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you for the sake of your faith, so that no one would be shaken by these persecutions. Indeed, you yourselves know that this is what we are destined for. In fact, when we were with you, we told you beforehand that we were to suffer persecution. So it turned out, as you know. For this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that somehow the tempter had tempted you and that our labor had been in vain. But Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought us the good news of your faith and your love. He has told us also that you always remember us kindly and long to see us just as we long to see you. For this reason, brothers and sisters, during all our distress and persecution, we have been encouraged about you through your faith. For we now live if you continue to stand firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy that we feel before our God because of you, Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you face to face and restore whatever is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus direct our way to you. And may the Lord make you increase and abound in love for one another and for all, just as we abound in love for you. And may he so strengthen your hearts in holiness that you may be blameless before our God and Father at the coming of our Lord Jesus with all his saints. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Dear friends in Christ, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord, the living Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Before we look more closely at today's text and uh, meditate on the attributes of Christian love, we should probably answer two questions before we go farther into the reading. First of all, who is the we? In this uh, first verse, and what is it that the we, they, could bear no longer? The we, and some of you know this because you're familiar with this letter, the we is Paul and his co workers, Silvanus and Timothy. Silvanus is also known as Silas in the book of Acts, but Paul always refers to him as Silvanus. This should not seem odd or unusual to us. William becomes Bill, Margaret becomes Peggy, Charles is Chuck. Silvanus, Silas, was with Paul on parts of his first and second missionary journeys. And in the artwork of the early church, he's often depicted standing with broken chains. Because some of you know the story. He was imprisoned with Paul. They were in Philippi, an earthquake shook the ground, burst open the prison door, and the chains were broken as well. Timothy was a younger servant of the Lord that Paul referred to as his son, In the faith, Paul adopted him spiritually. Paul was his mentor. And he was well acquainted with the Holy Scriptures and was instructed by Paul to be faithful. And he was a leader in the church in Ephesus. He served the church in Ephesus, did you know this? Until the age of 80, long after Paul had died. And this is how Timothy's life ended. Uh, Pagan Romans beat him, dragged him through the streets. And then he was eventually put to death by stoning. But before all that happened, what they, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, could bear no longer was Paul being driven out of Thessalonica by both religious and political authorities. Both the Jews and the Romans drove him away because of his preaching. They didn't like him preaching the name of Jesus Christ And what he could bear no longer was wondering about his Thessalonian brothers and sisters in Christ and how they were doing in the midst of all this persecution. He wanted to go personally, Paul did, to be with them face to face. But Satan, as we read in chapter 2 of this letter, blocked his way. So Paul decided to send Timothy younger, stronger, hoping that he might make the journey safely. And he did. And he returns to Paul with this good news that you heard in the reading. Even the severe persecution against the Christians in Thessalonica did not destroy their faith, nor did it diminish their love for one another. Paul then goes on to describe for us what this kind of love, not any kind of love, but Christ like love, agape love, is all about. He describes for us in this portion of his letter some of the attributes of this love and how it moves and how it turns to action. He reminds us that Christian love always encourages through faith. Timothy took the time, he went to the trouble, and he put himself at great personal risk in making that journey to visit the Thessalonian Christians, to encourage them in love. Paul wrote his letter to do the very same thing. Authentic love, Christ-like love, always encourages discipleship, and it always builds up the body of Christ. It never discourages, it never tears apart, it never seeks to destroy. This is what both Paul and Timothy witnessed among the believers in that city. Now, from time to time, we all face disappointments, don't we? Some of you, I know, have experienced tremendous losses and overwhelming sadness. But none of us, at least to my knowledge, not one of us, to my knowledge, have suffered like Paul did or like those Thessalonian Christians suffered. A Paul, like Timothy, was put to death for his faith in Jesus Christ. And many of those ancestors in the faith of ours, those Thessalonian Christians, were beaten and imprisoned because they simply believed in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Even though we haven't experienced that kind of hardship, God gives to you and to me this ministry of encouragement and love. And I want to remind you that we should encourage one another in Christ every opportunity God gives us. For if we can't do it now... If we won't do it now, what will happen to us, to this congregation, if a day comes when we are facing the kind of persecution those Thessalonians were facing, and if we start facing the kind of persecution that thousands of Christians around the world today are experiencing right now? So I hope that, inspired by Paul's letter, we might start practicing that ministry of encouragement more intentionally. And for some of us, it means stepping outside of our comfort zone. It means stepping outside of ourselves. For some of us, it means just refusing, saying no to the things in any congregation that can become hurtful. It means ignoring all the distractions that that can quickly poison any Christian fellowship. I meet people all too frequently who tell me, That they stopped going to church years ago, and the reasons they give have become, after 32 years of preaching, almost predictable. They stopped going to church because they got tired of the bickering. They grew weary of people criticizing one another. They lost patience when people were complaining over silly, inconsequential things. Let's not be that kind of church. Secondly, Paul says that Christian love abounds. That's a good word, isn't it? It abounds. And it abounds for all. Christlike love is not dormant. It's not static. It's not a proposition. It's an action. It's a relationship. Christlike love is not a limited commodity. It's living. It's breathing. It multiplies. It abounds. It grows. Some of you know this, some of you don't. This might be a good chance to tell you. On many Sundays when I'm not preaching here in the sanctuary, I schedule appointments with church members who need pastoral care and counseling. And so while you're worshiping here in the sanctuary, I'm in my office providing that pastoral ministry. Some people wonder if I'm in there hiding. I'm not afraid of you. I don't need to hide from you. I'm trying to do faithful ministry uh, given the limited time we have every week and busy schedules where folks just can't come Monday to Friday. But when no one needs that kind of pastoral care, and I'm not preaching here in the sanctuary, I will try to go to one or two other churches just to see what other Christians are doing in their life of worship. Because you know, there's not a kingdom of God at this church and a kingdom of God at that church. There's one kingdom, the kingdom of Christ, who is king of all creation. And I want to see what the king is doing in the life and fellowship of other parts of his kingdom. So I'll go visit these congregations. I went to one church one Sunday morning in a beautiful sanctuary that had room for at least 400 people. And I counted the heads at the one service that they're now down to, 28 souls, including yours truly. No one said a word to me before the service. No one greeted me during the service. After the service, I stood alone in their version of the centrum, their narthex. I went over to look at some brochures, and one of them said at the top, Welcome, friend, we're glad you're here. Well, I'm glad it was at least printed for me to read, because no one said anything. And, you know, at six foot five, I'm kind of hard to miss. I did hear one elderly couple. Saying, thinking I couldn't hear them well he's wearing a wedding band I wonder if his wife's at home or if he's a widower but no one talked to me they just talked about me first impressions are lasting impressions if I were new to Albuquerque or looking for a church home I don't know if I'd go back to that congregation but that same morning I went to a different church it's just getting started there were 60 people men, women, and children The sermon was horrible. I'm just being honest. I mean, do I always preach a great sermon? You be honest. Okay, yeah. (laughs) The music was dreadful. Uh, The person in charge of the slides went forward too many times too quickly and then went backwards and it was just a mess. But there was a sweet spirit of kindness and hospitality and love in that fellowship. Love overcomes a multitude of sins. (laughs) And that congregation continues to grow. Could you make it your goal, I've asked you before to do this, in the name of the God who loves us all, could you make it your goal to reach out and talk to at least one person, just one, when you're here for worship on any given Sunday morning, that you don't yet know all too well. It could be someone visiting for the first time, standing alone. Ask him, ask her, is there anything going on in your life right now for which I might be praying? I asked you to do this about two years ago. One of our members did. And what took place in that greeting and that offer of prayer was profound. Because the family had just suffered a terrible tragic death and they were back to church for the first time since that loved one had died and one of our sisters who took the time to talk to them made all the difference just by saying hello and asking if she could pray Christian love thirdly is thankful in joy now There's no joy in being persecuted, in being beaten, in being dragged through the streets. There's no fun in going to jail and being separated from your family. But Paul and Timothy, Silas too, and those Thessalonian Christians were thankful in joy for the life and the hope they shared in Christ. The scriptures don't tell us, the letter of Paul doesn't tell us that they were just giddy And joyful for the persecution and for the suffering. But in the midst of those hardships and that pain, they were thankful to God for the grace and mercy that they knew even in the midst of their pain. You see, joy is a byproduct of discipleship. That's what was going on for the Thessalonians And the same is true for the church today. Even in times of sadness, disappointment, uncertainty, we have a joy that cannot be stolen from us because the world didn't give us the joy in the first place. It's spirit-born. Shortly after my wife, Kirsten, was diagnosed with cancer a while back, she shared with me the story of a woman who decided to write down until she finished the job a thousand things for which to be thankful this woman had been focusing on all the bad going on in her life and the things that were so difficult and she had a lot of fear but God prompted this sister in Christ to begin thinking about the blessings in her life instead and it was transformational she succeeded enlisting a thousand things she was able to focus on the joy in her life instead of turning to bitterness or negativity or despair choosing to be thankful is not a psychological trick it's not the denial of real pain and real sorrow Those things are real. We've all experienced them. But choosing to be thankful is a trait. It's an attribute of those who know that God has the first word and God has the final word over all things and nothing in all creation, no cancer, no disease, not even death itself can separate us from his love in Christ Jesus our Lord. And then Paul reminds us that Christian love strengthens the heart. That word heart appears throughout the scriptures, both the Old and New Testaments. Heart is used to describe most comprehensively the whole person, the authentic self. It's part of our being, our consciousness, where we desire, where we deliberate, where we decide. It has been described by theologians, the human heart, as the place of conscious and decisive spiritual activity. Uh, Blaise Pascal, a Frenchman, who died in 1662 at the age of 39, was brilliant. I mean, this guy was smart. He was a Christian philosopher, mathematician, inventor, physicist. And Pascal... With all that intellectual prowess said, "We come to know truth, not just through reason, but still more through the heart." Paul tells us that Christ-like love strengthens the heart. It never weakens a person's faith, or dwells dwells on someone else's failures, which we all have. In a community of faith where love abounds, hearts are strengthened as Paul reminds us. And in any congregation where that kind of love is lacking, that church will quickly become just another club, just another voluntary association of like-minded individuals where hurting hearts will not have the opportunity to be helped and healed, where gossip all too quickly displaces the gospel, and where self-interest will always trump selfless service. Think about those Christians, please. Think about your ancestors in the faith in Thessalonica. Do you think they spent much time in the face of all that persecution and hardship bickering with one another? Do you think that they spent time on the Lord's day talking about what she's wearing to church today? Can you believe that outfit? Do you think they complained if the service went 70 minutes instead of 60? When you're persecuted for following Jesus... When the threat of death, as a consequence for your faith, is not just a possibility, but a real probability, you tend to focus on those things that really matter. And you refuse to be distracted by the things that don't. My prayer is that God would continue to protect our congregation and save our fellowship from focusing on the things that don't matter at all. I pray that the Lord would help you and help me to major in the majors and not major in the minors, all those distractions and petty things that don't matter eternally, that God would give to you and give to me His Holy Spirit, that we would focus our time and all of our energy on the things that matter most